welcome back to Culture in the Craft podcast. We're making creative spaces diverse places. Follow, review and share with others all your thoughts with us on the socials at culturexcraft or via our hashtag culturexcraft. We return to our conversation with Netflix Animation's production manager, Tiara Little. Her exposure to the hiring process meant she shared tips on getting in and getting on at Netflix Animation. Why she feels personal progress means professional progress and dealing with the dreaded public outrage of creative content. We really went in on this conversation. But before you continue, have you listened to part one yet? Have a listen now and then join us back here for part two and enjoy. How do you find in a management slash production sense in terms of knowledge and learning to make sure that we stay on top of our game and we're aware of what's going on? I would say for production people, for us, since it's kind of harder to have that social media presence, like it's, you know, we don't have something that we can just upload. Um, It's really just getting out there and meeting the people and talking with people. I feel like that's the biggest thing for production. People want to hire people that they like and they feel will be good to work with. And that's kind of what it really comes down to. So if they like you as a person, they're probably going to like you as a coworker. So if you can get out to any like networking events or mixers, or if you're not in an area where those things are accessible, then even just kind of reaching out to Mm -hmm. people on LinkedIn, or if you have like, if there's a show that you really like taking a look at the credits and seeing like who worked on this and are they somewhere online that you can reach out to and ask them like, Hey, I want to learn more about you? Can I ask you some questions? Um, I feel like that's where it really comes down to for production people. It's like really the networking and not just networking because you want to get a job, but networking to actually build relationships. That's where the difference is. People can really sense when you're only talking to them because you're expecting to get something. There's just like something in the tone. Mm. It's like always such a very easy tell that it's like, oh, you're not really interested learning about me. You just want to know what jobs I can give you, which I understand like when people are trying to break in, you know, sometimes there is that kind of desperateness to it, but you just always have to be genuine about why you're doing it. And even though we're working in the industry, we're still people and we don't like to feel used. A lot of us do want to help people, but we're really trying to find people who is like, can I see myself working with this person? Do I think they'd be a good fit for maybe one of my other friends shows or something? Really Mm -hmm. just kind of putting in the work with like the talking and just meeting people will really help the most at this stage. And how do you think that fits how we look to connect with others in networking spaces because it can be quite intimidating or we are not necessarily supported or versed in getting out and about as underrepresented people. It's very difficult to have that layer of not knowing people and then being female. Do you ever see that as an issue from your perspective or like introverts and extroverts as well? How would you look at trying to network within those different variations or do you think it doesn't matter you know it's all about just the connection and community uh I think it varies and I feel like there's a couple of different factors going on I know for me personally like I was very introverted and I'm still pretty introverted to an extent so networking didn't always come very easily to me either yeah it was definitely something that as I got into this industry I realized very quickly how important it was because people were getting jobs based off of who they knew, which is the unfortunate reality of it. But like, even with me, that's how I've gotten a majority of my jobs is through the people I've known. They've liked me and they've liked the work that I've done. And so they just bring me along with them. For me, what I would do was if I go to an event, I'm not trying to be the life of the party. because that's just too much even for me to try and do. I might set out with like a goal of like, well, maybe let's try and meet at least two new people tonight. And for me, that feels like an accomplishment. I'm happy with that. And it's like you go out, you meet your two people, you've done it. If it feels like it's too socially exhausting, I won't stay for the whole time, but it's about just showing up. That's the biggest part of it. Even if I know I'm not going to stay for long, if somebody invites me out to something and I say yes, I'm definitely going to be there. Whether I'm there for the whole time is a a whole different story. But, you know, at least they start to see me as a person like, oh, yeah, I know if I invite Tiara, she'll show up. And so let's keep 
inviting her. And that's how you meet more people. Once you meet one person animation, there's a good chance that they're gonna know two more people who either know you or have heard of you. And so that's why even just making the one connection matters because you don't know who they know and they can just kind of keep introducing you to other people or they kind of become that common thread between a new person that you have met. And so when I was an intern, I met, he's a storyboard artist named Chris Wimberly and he had a podcast going on at the time called The Animation Network. And so he brought me on, yeah, to interview for that. And through that podcast, we became friends. And like, he has been like a huge link for me in like meeting other people because everybody knows Chris. So I just bring up Chris and they're like, oh yeah, I know him. And then it kind of makes it easier. It's not like feeling like complete strangers because we have this mutual contact. So it's kind of like finding those people for you where it's like, oh, you know this person? That's great. I know them too. So if you're friends with them, that means we'll probably be good friends. So it, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, if you tend to lean on the more quieter or shy side, you know, I would just, again, find a way to break it down into like smaller, more easily attainable chunks for yourself. So instead of feeling like you have to talk to everyone mm. in the room, just talk to one person. And then next time you go, maybe talk to two people, like kind of keep pushing yourself so that you're getting used to it. But if you don't do it, you're never going to get used to it and you're not going to get better at it. So it's better to just kind of jump in and start doing it, see how it goes. And then you can check in with yourself later on being like, okay, maybe I could have done this differently. So next time I go out, I'm going to try this thing. And it's just kind of experimenting. So I feel like that's always been the easiest way to do it. I think that's really cool. And just thinking out loud now, that could apply to people who are already in a professional mm -hmm. career, let's say, and are interested in stepping into the field and therefore just want to immerse themselves within the different creative communities because your time is very limited. Say you finish your day at work and you're going off to an event that you've been invited to. Maybe there's only a short amount of time that you can spend there. So looking at it from a perspective of someone who's very time poor and is looking to slowly build a bit of a support system then I think that also works nicely in that sense because it all builds upon mm -hmm. each other to something fantastic and leads you to where you want to go or somewhere even unexpected that you would have yeah, never thought. Yeah exactly. What are your thoughts um, just whilst we're on this because we connected on Twitter yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that say you know like going on Instagram and following people on social media um because all these traditional ways in which to approach people you could go to a school or as you said go to a community college there's also online um what are your thoughts on yeah alternative ways of getting knowledgeable and tooling yourself up do you think within your peer group you see a lot of that of people connecting in alternative ways. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like especially on places like Twitter or Instagram, it's just become so second nature at this point. Especially if you're an artist, you should definitely have a social media profile somewhere. And I would absolutely recommend that you be posting art on there pretty regularly if you're not already. I've been on shows where creators have found all types of artists just on Twitter and that's how they're like finding people now. So it's not like you're saying, it's not the traditional way of recruiting and hiring anymore. Like a lot of people mm. are just online and they happen to come across a profile and they're like, I love this person's work. I'm going to start following them. Some of them, you know, create friendships with them and then that helps bring them in. And then there are people who just have these like big followings and people are like, oh, yeah, they do a lot of work. I want to work with them. And they just kind of reach out to them there. But always just make sure like if you have your social media profile, you know, your email is on there so that people can contact you. Not everyone wants to DM people. So having that very clear somewhere and what type of work, you know, you're interested or open to doing is also really helpful just because, you know, it'll help kind of curate the requests that you're getting. But definitely being mm. online and just kind of engaging with people from both sides. That's like, you know, if I'm an artist and I'm posting my art online, engaging with people in your comments so mm. that you're kind of like building that reputation. And, it's, you know, it's all about branding for yourself. So, you know, engagement is part of it. And if you're on the other side of it and you're just kind of looking at work, definitely dropping a comment and letting them know that you love it. It's great. Can help the artists because it's nice to know when your work is being appreciated. And sometimes we don't always clearly say that to them. 
So they can feel like you're uploading into a void. So that's kind of how you balance the two. But I would also say just being conscious of what you're putting on those sites is important too, because now that it is so prominent, it's not surprising that if I'm in a meeting and we go, let's look up this artist and we go to their Twitter, whatever is on there, we're all seeing it. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people don't care about that, oh, but if yeah. you're on there and you're looking for a job in the industry and you're also bashing certain people in the industry, that's not going to make you come across as somebody that people want to work with. Um, and I know like people are like, oh, well, you know, you can't blacklist me and blacklisting is its whole other thing. And like, yeah, there are some blacklists mm. out there. Every industry has them. And it's not as extreme as like, oh, well, you say yeah. one mean comment online and now you're blacklisted. But it's like if you are consistently like rude or offensive to people that are working in an industry, they will remember <laughs> and they might get into a position where they are in charge of hiring. And if, you know, your name comes up and it comes back that, oh, you were that person who was doing all these things to all these people well, then, I mean, you can't be surprised when the outcome is just that, well, I don't want to work with them. If that's how they act online, what will it be in person? So yeah, it's true. kind of like you're writing off a lot of opportunities for yourself. And this isn't to say that you have to like censor yourself and, you know, mm. it has to be a squeaky clean profile. Not even people working in the industry have squeaky clean profiles, but it's just kind of like being more aware of what you're saying and to who you're saying it. If you're like seeking out, board artists from a show because you don't like how they did an episode and you're just kind of like raging on them. Um, it's not probably not a good look and it probably won't end well for you in the long run if that's your ultimate goal <laughs> is to be there. Yeah. So I think it's just kind of there feels like there needs to be a layer a little bit of like social media etiquette, especially when talking to people who are creating yes. the things that you're interested in. Because again, we're all people. We're just trying to do the best that we can. But I think... It's great that we have this access directly to the people who are making things, but at the same time, it's like a double-edged sword because people are criticizing things that they don't really have a very clear understanding of why it's like that. So it's very easy to see an end product and be like, oh, this sucks. I hate this. But it's like, there's a good chance like people working on the show might have the same feelings, but you know, maybe they couldn't make the thing that they wanted to do for other factors completely out of their control. So the fact that it ended up like that is not because that's what they wanted it to be or that they weren't trying, but maybe they were just either told no by someone else and it was, you know, stopped down the pipeline somewhere or money is an issue all the time. We have big ideas of what we want to do, but in terms of budget, we can't always do that. So you find ways to compromise and still make something that you're proud of. You know, it doesn't always feel good to go online and then see people are hating on it and they're making it seem like, well, you guys did this on purpose because you don't care. It's like we all care. We wouldn't be in the industry making this stuff if we didn't care. But exactly. I think it's, it's like having some more compassion and understanding and it can come from both sides, but... I would say have a, a profile, but just be conscious of how you're using it. It's the biggest thing. Yeah. It's like please social media responsibly because even though these are new ways of us learning how to develop within a particular industry and in a professional um, environment, there are still laws that apply. You wouldn't correspond with any potential employer or client of yours in a way that was unprofessional. I guess it's difficult to see the difference between the two, like who you are as an entity and what your brand, what your name represents as it goes out into the ether. Mm -hmm. As people are starting to form better understandings of how important your space is in the world, it's being mindful of the implications of that. It is another representation of you and how you come across there is how people will perceive you and assume you are like, I think that's very good to flag that as a little warning and mm -hmm. uh, be aware, listeners, be very aware. Also, you touched upon a very topical point about trial by group consensus. It's here's some content that everyone's been working very hard on. It's delivered. It's highly anticipated. And for whatever reason, it's slammed. And then everyone jumps on the bandwagon and says, oh, this is terrible. This is, um, you know, a waste of our time. Why did this happen? 
Um, we've had Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. going back and um, we've heard about all of the Game of Thrones situations and I feel like I've not heard of this existing before where all this work is being shared with communities, with customers, with audiences and then it's being criticised and I wouldn't say it's like a critique it's more just damnation yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> straight away and everyone's like in this kind of I don't know if it's because everyone just gets hyped up and it's all together and therefore people get carried away and it goes beyond but especially as a production person you are hyper aware of the limitations that you face because as much as everybody loves the work that's being done these are transactional forms of creation you are creating things that need to be able to create value for you in order to create more things to then create more value which allows you to create more things and so on and on and the byproduct of that is customers get to see mm -hmm. all these amazing and fantastic things um when you get audiences that are yeah just just plain mean about things and I think also with the advancement of tech it feels like it's you know anybody can just cobble together some kind of cg yeah <laughs> creature and like oh I could have done that in my bedroom in a couple of months how did they spend all that money and there's always like insane numbers thrown around uh, yeah it's something wild you know, we need to see how that was broken down and where the actual money was implemented compared to the aspects that you're saying are terrible do you think this is just a sign of the times that it's just a case of people getting very complacent and because you know they've been through star wars we've had matrix we've had inception we are just heading towards a space where creativity seems like it's constantly 10 times more innovative than the last thing and yeah. people are just getting very used to it and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I guess Avengers making this kind of incredible groundbreaking content and the whole story arc. Yeah, you know, next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say and definitely being on the other side of things now and getting a better understanding of everything, it's. I definitely feel like people have become a lot bolder online because there is that barrier of it's like, well, it's, you know, I'm just a random person. What does it matter? I agree. It's like, you know, you can be critical of something. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that, especially when you're making something creative. Not everyone's going to like it. So I don't expect everyone right. to like it. But at the same time, I don't spend a lot of my time going online and bashing why I don't like it. For me, my first thought is, well, if it could have been so easily fixed, why don't you try making it yourself? I find it very unfair to... It's so easy for us to pick out what's wrong with something. And it always... Yeah overshadows oh, yeah. all of the good like even like game of thrones is a really good example you know a lot of people were unhappy with the last season maybe it wasn't my favorite season either but then it's kind of just like that one season takes away all the other seasons that they did that people really enjoyed you know i can understand like if i were on the other side of that and i had been a part of game of thrones and making it i would feel pretty frustrated because it's like it hurts to feel like somebody saying all the work you did was wasted because no work is wasted um and i think people are are just like more ready to criticize but if you're really looking at like the people who are actually trying to do things and get things done it's not always a huge amount of people I think people feel more comfortable being in like the critic seat and just harping on what's wrong and not always the solutions that they're giving are the best ones to start with or there are solutions that most likely they had considered and for whatever reason it couldn't happen. Like we've had, even had that happen on our own show where we have one idea, it gets taken out and then we get a few stages down and then they're asking why that one idea we originally had isn't there or that they would have put it there. And it's like, well, we had it, but we got rid of it for these reasons. So I think things mm. seem easier on the surface of like, oh, this is such an easy fix. Like they all they had to do was just do this one thing. But if you're looking at something like a show, this is something that's going through, I don't know how many hands of people. Yeah, let's let's really reveal, let's get rid of the smoke and mirrors that this is a monster when you think of content nowadays yeah. has to 
exist and get approved by and is overseen by multiple stakeholders, the studios, mm-hmm. you've got the, the writers, you've got the um, independent people that are involved, contractors that come in. It's a very big, massive, massive ship, if we could use that yeah, as yeah. an analogy. And you're, everyone's on board trying to ensure that it's ending up at its destination, but it's inevitable that there is going to be a lot of shifting and changing, of course, with all these things that come into it. And I've also come to feel that there are also external factors that affect things like there are timelines um, deadlines yeah. and budget constraints and specific topical happenings that influence how something is approached changes of um, ownership all these things are going on in the background and I know that we are definitely in an age where we hear about an idea and then immediately we are given the final project Mm -hmm. such an instant lifestyle that very few people are aware of the amount of energy and talent and time that's invested hundreds of people involved in some of the these blockbusters it is very demotivating when you spent years on something and you get a group of people going oh it could have been better yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, everything can always be better. I think that's where it always comes down to. But I think where you see the difference in people is like, yeah, it could have been better. But what do you do afterwards? Like, I feel like that's where it counts. You know, Mm. you do a thing, you complete it. Now what next? And a lot of times people, they keep creating. But I feel like with recently with, you know, how people react to things, that can be a really good reason for people to not keep creating or to not share what they're making. And I feel like in the long run, that just kind of hurts all of us as a whole, because you never know what's going to be that project that really speaks to somebody. And so if we're stopping that before it even gets made, it's kind of like, well, what are we missing out on? It's not black and white. A lot of the times it does get approached like that. And it's like, no, it's a lot more complex and layered then, you know, like you're saying, you see there is an announcement and now it's out in theaters and now this is just what it is and people have a lot of opinions about it. So, I mean, that's why I love seeing people do like fan creations of things. It's like, okay, you have your own interpretation Mm. of it. Like, what is that? You know, I'm all for just putting more artwork out into the world and, you know, keep creating things. But I think when people see the backlash you can get, it really makes them not want to do it. And so it's like, what are we missing out on? Because they're afraid to put themselves out there. And I don't know. It's something that I think about every now and then. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a good thing to erase. And hopefully the listeners can go and share this conversation with others. And the conversation that we're having now and other conversations combined can help to reveal how things exist within the belly of the beast, seeing that the content that's coming through is, you know, the best that everyone's hoping it can be. So critique, yes, look at ways in which improvements can be made, but to have like full on, (laughs) like, yeah, Twitter handles saying this needs to go or this needs to be redone. It's just, yeah, it's counterintuitive. I think it's the antithesis of creativity is that type of behavior. And I think the world could use more creativity rather than less. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And just trying to understand where they're coming from, like making a petition to like remake something. It's like, well, this was probably shot a year ago, so they definitely all have moved on. <laughs> yeah. So while I get what people are trying to go for, it's just not going to happen, most likely. So it's just, you know, ex- seeing something, accepting it for what it is and being like, OK, this is how they did it. That's fine. What else can we do? And trying to just move forward from it. Yeah. Well, play a part. If you think that things could be done better, then come join the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Have a part to play in it so that you can help. Yeah, put your money where the mouth is. Yeah. (laughs) But let's come back then to like these epic pieces of content that are coming out and you being at somewhere like Netflix animation is an extraordinary place 
to be in, especially in this time. Is there anything that you want to share in terms of the types of projects that Netflix Animation has worked on? Let's assume that there may be someone out there who's not aware of the division that is Netflix Animation versus Netflix, stuff that you want to, I guess, share and expose to our audiences. Yeah, so right now Netflix has been... They have like the Netflix originals, but they've pretty much mostly been all live action stuff. So Netflix animation is really, really new, like maybe within the past year-ish new. Wow, that's new. Yeah, so it hasn't been around for long. So all of the projects that we're working on at Netflix animation, a lot of it still hasn't been announced yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. secret, I like (laughs) it. I know, but they have a lot of great things in the works. They're doing a mix of features and TV series and... It's just such a a very diverse group of content that's being made right now um, of the stuff that's been announced. So the show that I'm working on, Battle Kitty, has been announced, which will kind of be like um, an interactive animated series. That's exciting. Yeah, and, and it's been exciting trying to figure out like, well, what does that look like? You know, how do we build this type of thing? Because it hasn't been done before. And, you know, being able to be a part of that process and you know figuring out like okay what what can we do it's like a lot of just experimenting and trying things out and um I think what I really enjoy about Netflix animation is like they're all about the innovation process of it so you know everything is just like one big experiment we're trying this out we're hoping it works if it doesn't work then we look at okay well what can we change or what can we do differently And the way the studio is built, it's like they have the creative at the center and then they're building out from that. So every group and system put in place is really to support the creator. And they're approaching it where it's like usually at a studio, it's kind of like network and the executives would have the final say. But it's kind of Mm -hmm. been reversed here. So now it ultimately comes down to the creative. So, you know, the studio can disagree but they kind of can't tell you no. <laughs> That's been kind of interesting to see how that comes from because we're most of us at the studio, you know, we were all kind of pulled from very traditional studios. And so it's really not what we're used to, but I think it's been interesting to see it play out in that, you know, they want to really support the creative and they're, you know, they've hired previous artists into executive roles so that there's a little more of that understanding there. But it does allow for a lot more, I feel like, openness and honesty about how things are being done and when people aren't on board with why they're doing a certain thing or why they can't do a thing. So if let's say if like the studio disagrees with like something a show wants to do, instead of just being like, no, you can't do that, they'll come back with like, well, this is why we don't think it would be a good idea and they would give you all the reasons. And, you know, if that means pulling in people to kind of like explain, you know, what the different steps or the process is like, sometimes it's just information. Like we don't know a certain part of the process or the pipeline that maybe they have knowledge of. So they're just trying to make sure we have all the information so that we can make an informed decision. And then after that, it's like, you know, ultimately, it's, you know, your decision creator. So you decide what it will be. But it's it's usually like a lot of talking back and forth and just kind of figuring it out. But it's been pretty interesting to see so that far. That is superb. Yeah. I really want to underscore that comment that you're making. Classically, it is the studio execs that they have the last word. But this is completely flipping the script to see that process being explored as people, as you said, who have existed within the framework of, okay, I'm waiting for sign off from the execs. Now to have that control and such an immediate effect on what is going to happen. Do you think that also brings an extra layer of creativity, excitement, energy, because people really feel ownership over what is happening? It is their idea coming into fruition? 
Yeah, to, I feel like to some extent it does. Um, there's still, I feel like a part of it where it's like, even if it is ultimately like creative's decision, once we get more information, it's still very clear that there are certain limitations of like what we can do to still mm. keep it in line. Like, you know, if you're trying to make a kid's show and you're trying to do certain things, you know, whether the studio agrees with it or not, like certain ratings are going to push it forward regardless. So it's kind of just like making us know like, hey, you can do this thing, but here's what what will happen if you do this thing what it's doing on the creative side is like you're kind of learning which battles you want to fight and mm -hmm. what your priorities are and where you're willing to kind of like let go of things and where you're willing to change things or where you're going to put your foot down and say no this is what I'm doing and I think it's pretty good for it's good in I don't, I don't want to say bad but challenging for creatives because if you're a new yes. creator and you're used to just being told what to do sometimes it can be a little bit confusing or overwhelming to all of a sudden now it's on you and you're getting all this information and it's like you have to make a decision that's gonna impact everyone on the team and your entire show at the studio so it just kind of requires a lot more of a thought process and thinking but it seems like on all ends like it's just a lot of collaboration that ends up happening so like, you know, the creators will get yeah. together and they might talk and say like, hey, are you having this issue or I have this concern? And it's very open in that way where we're kind of all sharing together with like, this is where I'm at. What have you done or have you experienced this? Do you have any advice? And I feel like across the board, everyone's been really open to that and been helpful. And so it's like we all are supporting each other and we're trying to get this done. But, you know, at the same time, everyone at the studio is kind of it's challenging their ideas of what a studio is. And so when you kind of run into these problems that you've never had to deal with before, it's kind of just like, okay, now what? So it's, it's a process definitely, but it's, it's been fun to see. I can't imagine how it is to be within that environment, seeing the things that you're seeing. I can only imagine it will lead to very new and exciting ways of coming up with solutions as creative meets what's of value. It feels like you're exploring areas that aren't so black and white and that everything's starting to merge and converge together in order to come to the optimum output as opposed to it being led purely by numbers or purely by creative it's it's intriguing that's really intriguing mm -hmm. yeah it's been an experience <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to say oh it's fascinating and it's all like experimental but within that I'm sure it's a lot of hard work coming to dead ends and having to deal with things that have never happened before and backtracking and all those things and highly um yeah as you say challenging environments I'm sure everyone there must be having this exploration within a sense of like, oh yeah, there's a purpose and there's a vision, but it's a hard thing to do and we are breaking boundaries. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the things where there is, that's that other side of being at the studio where it's like, we're doing all these great things and we're doing great content, but they've also really, you know, went out of their way to like bring in who they kind of feel like are the best of the best. Like they want the cream of the crop there. And so you're working with like veterans who've been in the industry for years and are just so well known and just people who are really great and amazing at their jobs. And that automatically puts a lot of pressure on you to make sure you're constantly like performing at the level you need to be performing to keep up. So it definitely pushes me in ways that I haven't been pushed before where it's like, all right, you know, I'm here. You, you got to kind of really earn your spot. Not that it's like people don't think you can do it, but it's like you you can kind of just feel that it's like, no, I'm, I got to come in here and like I have to be on my A game. And yeah. so it does have that element to it where it's like we're collaborating, we want to create great stuff, but at the same time, we want to do the best that we can do at our jobs. And sometimes that just means, you know, pushing ourselves past our comfort zones and figuring yeah. out like, okay, well, what's the next level of where I could be at with where I am? What am I doing? What could I be doing more of? What do I need to do less of? So you're constantly kind of like challenging yourself so that you can kind of keep up with what's going on. But I just feel like in the long run, let's say something happens in the studio ends up going away. Everyone coming from that studio is going to be just 
so out of this world good at what they do. Yeah, I'm <laughs> it's, sure. you know, it's going to be sure. kind of crazy to it's see. Really, at the sharpest end of, of what's happening right now in entertainment, I think very few people can deny how prestigious the organization is, and not just through legacy like some other studios. It's delivering. It's really doing the work and everyone inside is is coming forward and leveling up you can see it in the content it's definitely leagues ahead of everyone else so yay yeah we're all excited yeah and it's it's keeping you know customers and other people who work in the industry it's just that whole concept of going beyond what has existed before and pushing yourself forward and progress which is what it's all about it's not about standing still or doing the same things over and over otherwise it's it's not going to be a of value to people because that's ultimately what it's about we need to make sure that the value is there and b in order to continue the cycle of why art as a form is so important to just civilization is is that heart and the combination of all the elements of humanity coming together but then it constantly evolving with the times and if we talk about your speaking in a way that's very much like the cutting edge of how a studio and then the team and in yourself are working within that space do you think the future of animation the production itself do you have any visions of what it could be like or what are your thoughts yeah, I think that just across the board, what Netflix has done for TV and just kind of the entertainment industry is like it's really lit a fire under a lot of the studios. <laughs> That's making it very, very diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we're just and I'm even thinking just like within animation, once they started their animation studio, they were able to pull a lot of people from studios that they had been at for years yeah like these studios were like losing people at a very very fast rate to where they're like okay we got to like figure this out and I think that's good in the long run because part of what was driving people over to Netflix was that they have competitive salaries and rates and so that kind of helps in the long run where like now studios are trying to fight to keep people and what that ends up happening is like well that means giving them raises it might mean giving them a better position and then it's also looking at the structure of their studio and seeing okay people are leaving the studio to go over there for these reasons what can we do on our end to want to make them stay like what do we need to start adding in because i think it since like there was nothing to really kind of disrupt the nature of what has been going on like we've all kind of just fallen into like you know this is what this is it's kind of been the same nothing's yeah. new so you just kind of accept things for what they are and you don't really question it but then when you have a studio like netflix come in they're a disruptor and so you can't just keep doing what you're doing anymore because now this new place has arrived and they're challenging everything that you've been doing. And so when people get a taste of that, it's going to be hard, at least I feel like, to get them to agree to what has been going on before. For some people, that'll be better. Some, for some people, it might not be, but they know what something else looks like. I think for animation, it kind of opens up a lot more doors on like what we can start achieving for and start asking for as creatives and professionals. And then just from a content standpoint, I mean, it's still early and like a lot of what Netflix is doing hasn't been released yet. But I think that once, mm -hmm. you know, that does go out, I think, again, content wise, that's going to start challenging studios because I just feel like we have so much that I wish we could talk about. But I have a feeling once it's out there, like it's, it's just going to be a game changer in a lot of different ways. And so... Studios are going to be looking at like what they're creating and who they're creating with and what kind of stories they're telling and how they're telling yeah. them. And streaming just kind of opens up the market for a lot of people. You know, you have now all the networks are going to streaming, but I mean, there's YouTube. Exactly. So people, you don't have to be with a studio. You can kind of just start making your own stuff and get a following and do that. And a studio can come to you and ask you to do certain things if you're interested, but you know, you don't really have to wait for permission to do anything at this point. So I would love to see more people getting onto those platforms and just creating whatever it is that they want. 
And like Facebook has, like you can do shows on there. I wouldn't be surprised if these other social media things start adding TV. I know Apple's doing TV soon and they have animation division. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, now everyone's trying to get their hands into it and seeing what they can do with it. And I feel like it's going to be a really exciting time for the animation industry. And I'm really excited to see how it evolves and grows. But I think having this initial kind of like new entity come in and really shake things up, whether it's going to... and. I feel like that's the other part of it. It's like a lot of us, we don't know if Netflix is going to last. You know, it's like this new thing. It's hot right now, but things happen. I don't I don't know anything about stocks or investments or, you know, but I know things happen in yeah. trends and, you know, they could be going really well for them one day and the next day they could be bankrupt and they could be gone and every, everyone's laid off. I mean, that's like worst case scenario. But even if it's here for however long it is, it's still here for long enough to kind of like get new things going, which I think is yeah. good, even if it doesn't last long term, I, even though I do want it to yeah, last long term. it's certainly <laughs> reinvented concepts that hadn't been explored. And exactly to the point that you made, everyone who has passed through the doors of Netflix and Netflix animation, regardless, as you say, hopefully nothing happens. If things don't work out, you're left with a bag of skills that are formidable to say, right, I have seen and done things that pivoted, that changed the game. And I'm coming now to, you know, join you, join forces with someone else. It can't be a bad thing to have experienced that. In terms of money and ownership, yes, of course, there there is a thought that, you know, if things don't work out, people lose a lot of money. Mm. But in terms of the idea, the legacy that's been left or has been the seed that has been sown is it sprouted a new forest of a future that could bring so many different fruit. It will be something that will last for a very long time in the minds and I think in the hearts of any audience will have a place in their heart, I think, for Netflix and what it has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be exciting times up ahead. And do you think within the leadership management side of things, do you see there being a similar shift? Do you feel like how you had operated maybe a few years ago and a few years before that has shifted as a result of this? Uh, I feel like there are some things about management that are kind of always going to stay the same, but I do think Mm -hmm. environments like this do challenge kind of like the more traditional ways of how you do it. Another big part of it is that in a field like animation, you could be managing people who have been in the industry for decades and people who just got out of school. And those generations of people are very different. So what would have worked before may not go over so well now. And that's where you're trying to find the juggle. Like you need to have like a new way to talk with like people coming in because they have different sensibilities, how you communicate with them it's just going to be different versus someone who's like they might be more traditional and they're used to a certain type of way and that's how they like things and they don't want a lot of change management in that aspect is where it'll need to evolve and how you communicate and Mm. but I feel like a lot of like the basic principles of it kind of stay the same it's just the approach starts to change it's all very as you say it's all very exciting times and before we head off we really love to just get a bit more information about specifically you, Tiara, because you've done so much and you're doing so much outside of um, working at Netflix animation. From a personal perspective, are there any role models that you have that you would like to tune our audience, our listeners into? It doesn't have to be in the animation space. It can just be a a North Star of yours. You know, it's hard because I feel like a lot of times I just stumble across a lot of people or just random bits of wisdom that I'm like, oh, I like that. I'm going to take that. And so I feel like my role models just come from a lot of different places. Nice. I would say I definitely look up to people like Michelle Obama, of course, even like Oprah. I feel like she's really great at communicating with people and she has the skill where she can just kind of just understand where they're coming from. And it's there are a lot of these soft skills that are really hard to get. You can't just 
pick them up out of nowhere. Sometimes it's just like a natural right. thing, but seeing how people who have that skill naturally, how they work and how they navigate like certain conversations like that is always fascinating to me because even if you can't like maybe do it the same way that they do it, you still learn something from it. So yeah, definitely a mixed bag of what I listen to. I usually just, there's like this podcast called Quote of the Day and it's just like all motivational speakers and I usually start my day with that and they just have like a little snippet of like a speech. So it could be like a 10 minute long episode, could be like only seven Mm -hmm. minutes, but it's just like a little nugget to kind of get you thinking in a different perspective. And I've come across a lot of great people through that way. Um, Like Les Brown was one person, Uh, Lisa Nichols is another. So just like a wealth of people who just have a lot of great information that they want to share. So I would say that's kind of where things are coming from. And of course, people that I've worked with, I look up to a lot of them, like previous producers. Amanda's a great example. She's just amazing at what she does. And, you know, my producer on DuckTales, Susanna Olson was great. Same with uh, at Cartoon Network, uh, Brent Tanner. He was amazing. So I've learned something from all of them. And it's been a, a great ride. And I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what else I can pick up along the way. But that's kind of like a start for people. That's a good <laughs> example of it doesn't necessarily have to be people that you're not connected to. Look at the people next door to you, the people that you're working with, because everybody that helps and supports you on your journey can be an inspiration to others and to give them you know their flowers rather than waiting till people are gone and then saying how amazing they are it's great to hear you talking about your team your peer group that's really lovely and I'd like to talk about no hiatus it's a brilliant concept please share with our (laughs) listeners because it's something that they will find really relevant it's relevant to the conversation that we're having here about exposing careers um, within the industry and how you're going about doing that is exciting yeah so no hiatus is basically just we were kind of like thinking about our earlier conversation of like well what's missing and how can we be doing more no hiatus was created to be the bridge of that gap and just start filling in some of those places where we can. There's two parts to it, I would say. There's looking at the individual person and how can we evolve and develop as a person so that we are the type of person that we want to be. Because I feel like who you are is a very big part of what types of things that you're creating. So it's, you know, developing who we are personally and then going over to the technical side of things and looking at you know, if you're an artist or creative or whatever, how do we train you to get that skill set as well? Right now, what we are doing, like we have like resume reviews, portfolio reviews. There's like a like a one on one mentorship that I'll do with people. We've had interview preps and um, we're going to be adding in a podcast pretty soon. That's just answering all questions about animation. Super cool. Yeah, yeah. Just and. Because I feel like I also get a lot of the same questions. So I'm just going to put it all in one place. People can binge through that. But that's part of it. And then we also want to are looking to hosting like events. So different workshops and having professionals come in to kind of help people get the training that they're looking for. And we're trying to approach it from a more intimate space. So like if we do something that's like a panel or workshop, instead of just looking to get the highest amount of people in that room, we would focus more on like smaller groups so that people are getting that one-on-one attention that will make the difference. I feel like sometimes when we're just like worried about like getting the numbers in and so that you can make like a huge profit off of something, it does kind of take away from like Mm -hmm. how people are learning and what they're learning. And so it's more about the value of what we're offering. Um, And so if I feel like smaller groups is a better way to do that. So we can like really dig into like, okay, what is your learning style? What would make more sense? Cause I know like for me personally, you know, I'm definitely a visual learner. So, you know, if I go to something like a panel, there might be concepts that like should be common sense or like should be easy to understand. But sometimes I just need like a visual something to go along with it to make it very clear what that is. And think, you know, that's not something you're going to know if you have a room of 100, 200 people. 
But if you're in a smaller group, you can kind of work that out and be like, okay, well, like, let me give you a very clear, specific example of what this thing is. And then like the light switch will go off. So we're really just looking to help bring in more people, but at the same time, we want to make them feel prepared and like they know what's going on and, and that they know the expectations of it, but then also working on the personal side of it, which is, you know, sometimes it is like that etiquette, networking etiquette and social media etiquette yeah. and, you know, those personal skills, how you talk to people and how you relate to them and how do you manage your time? How do you prioritize? So we're looking to kind of help people in those two areas and we're going to keep rolling stuff out throughout the next year. And hopefully we can do some collaborations with other organizations and eventually studios would be great. But right now we're just kind of looking at like, what can we do right now to get that conversation going? What can we provide? Um, we have like free downloadable resources on the site. So the website is www.nohiatus.org. We're just going to do our best to help fill the gap of where people are at and where they want to be. Amazing. We'll definitely put the link in the show notes so that people can explore what's going on there and continue to be part of your journey. Then how about for you, if people are interested in what you're up to, are you on social media as well so that they can follow you? Give yeah. you a shout out. <laughs> so I'm on Twitter um, at underscore Tierra Little. There's social media for the No Hiatus pages on both Twitter and Instagram. And they're at no underscore hiatus underscore. Also on Instagram. And my handle for that is Amor Charlie, A-M-O-U-R-C-H-A-R-L-I-E. So I kind of float around on those spaces, but I do tend to go to like a lot of mixer events out here. So I know Women in Animation does events and Creator Society. I tend to pop up there and just usually just out and about. So if you're in on the West Coast in California in the LA area, you might just see me around. But yeah, that's that's usually where I'm at. <laughs> Thank you very much for giving us all this knowledge and so much insight from what you're doing over there at Netflix and yeah, just generally stopping to have a chat. That's it then for Culture in the Craft podcast with Tiara Little, production manager at Netflix. Bye. Bye. If you've got an idea you'd like us to discuss or have any questions for the show, you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram on Culture X Craft. Remember to subscribe, give the podcast a like and feel free to leave a comment too. We'd love to hear from you. All your help allows us to help others like us fill creative spaces with diverse faces. Yeah, it's like coming as a firecracker and yeah, and everyone's like, woo! Yeah, yeah. We are so grateful. I'm sure everyone's like, thank goodness for it and all those that work within it.